Greg, the question is, I know that uh, I think Pierce County is not yet requiring being vaccinated. Is that correct? So the movie is, I, I believe, it's also in, showing in Puyallup. Do you know about that? I don't. Maybe you can. Can somebody find that out? It's in Puyallup. Where? <laughs> that is the wisdom that comes from above. Okay. <laughs> well, if we can get a, actually a, a name to it, that would be very helpful. Okay. Okay. Sabina.com. Sabina.com. And if anybody wants to talk to me after the, the, the service this morning, please come up and ask me questions. Amen. Thank you. Love you, Greg. I feel like I've already had a heart full with all that for today. So uh, it's interesting because what I want to share also ties in with this. We are not going to compromise with worry and fear. So I want to talk this morning about that from Exodus. But before I do, before you stand in honoring God's word, I want to read something that dovetails to things that I've been sharing the last couple of weeks regarding this plague of abortion and how we're, our nation, if there's nothing else going on in our nation, that evil is enough that we should have already been taken out by God. It's, it's a horrible evil. So I received this from Rick Steele yesterday. The Justice Foundation wrote this. This is an extremely critical time at the at the U.S. Supreme Court this weekend and this month, the Supreme Court will be reading many briefs that deal with the Texas heartbeat law and whether or not that law should be stopped from continuing in effect until there is a full decision on the merits. Right now, the Texas law has been in effect 59 days that has saved countless babies, babies' lives, and has saved many women from the devastating psychological consequences, that's in quotes, of abortion, which is a part of the Supreme Court uh, are going to be visiting this whole area on this particular law. So the Supreme Court itself has admitted it in its Casey decision. I'll let you go out and, and read about this, but the Supreme Court will be hearing oral argument in this case this coming Monday, that's tomorrow, November 1st, at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You may be able to watch the oral arguments live on C-SPAN, or you can hear the audio live on the Supreme Court website. So here's their all capital letters. Please pray for the Supreme Court this weekend, including Halloween. Pray on the day of the oral argument and the following month until the decision is out. So I want to stop again. We can never pray too much. But, Lord, we, we just bring this, this request from this, uh, the Justice Foundation for what's going on. This is huge as far as what you, what's going on in our nation. And we've been praying, turn us back to you, Lord. Grant us repentance, the acknowledgement of the truth. And in this petition, or whatever that's called, we are asking, Lord, that this would, would, would be able to be now a precedent for the ending of abortion in our nation. That's our prayer. Lord, I ask now as we get into the word that you bless it, give us hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying in Jesus' name, amen. So we're off to an intense start. So would you stand? Because what we have, you know, that, that there's a verse that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when, that in context is when the children of Israel were hearing the Lord speak to them, but it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't fun. And they were weeping. There was a lot of stuff going on. And then what they were said is, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? It means, as tough as it gets, if we can hear the voice of God, 
that's going to be where our, where our joy is going to be anchored. We've heard from God. We're seeking to live our lives for him and do the things he's called us to do. So as we go through the word, I love this also. As we go through the word, whether we're reading it, listening to it, memorizing it, whatever, listen, God is speaking to us. Every time, every word, every jot and tittle, God has given to us in his word to speak to our lives. So if we can respond with, you know, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In the book of Revelation, seven churches, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to what? The churches. God wants to speak to us this morning as much as any other time. And so I'm saying to you, as, as I've said many times to myself, we need to get those Bibles open every day and read and listen to what the Lord is saying to us because he, the eternal God, wants to speak into our lives to transform them and change them for his glory and for all eternity. Amen? So in Exodus chapter, um, we're going to start in chapter 9. We're going through 7 through 12 as a little bit of a series within the book. So when God plagues a nation, when that nation is our nation, in Exodus 9, I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses. I hope you have your Bibles open, can read them with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on, on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belong to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. Now, this is an important everyone. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard and did not let the people go. It's called pride. Verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the, in the sight of, of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace, stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the, on, on the, magicians and all the Egyptians. Here it is again, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So I like to do responsive reading. I'll read the first and odd verses. You follow with the second. We'll take 13 and do it all together in Psalm, from Psalm 56. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. Whenever I'm afraid... I will trust in you. All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger cast down the peoples, O God. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Not 
In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Altogether. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. So, Lord, again, as we prayed, we pray again. We come to your throne of grace. We come, Lord, saying, please give us ears to hear. I pray the things that I prepared. You break them fresh by your Holy Spirit. Feed us. We're hungry. We know, Lord, we believe with all of our hearts. We need to hear from you. We need to feast on your word. We need to taste and see that you are good. A good, gracious God. So, please, Lord, bless our time in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So an overall uh, outline, I'll just put it up there again for this whole little series within the book of Exodus. Uh, The Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. Evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. We are set free through the sacrificed Lamb of God. That just nails it in my mind for what we're learning through the things that we're going through or hopefully learning. So we've looked at no other gods, no differences. We started last week with no compromise with these three bullet points, or maybe another small outline. No compromise in doing the will of God. In other words, not my will, but your will be done. Secondly, no compromise with the world. In other words, in the world, but not of the world. Third, no compromise with worry and fear. I will trust and not be afraid. So we are learning about our redemption through the redemption that God did through, through uh, Moses for the children of Israel. So no compromise in doing the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, we looked at this last week. I would just like to peruse it a little bit in leading up to these final two. From eternity past, right from the beginning of the plagues, there's this battle of wills. There's God's will communicated through Moses and Pharaoh's will. From eternity past, and I love what Greg said. It ties in so well. From eternity past, Satan has always opposed God. So you have these principalities and powers, this fallen demonic realm that's in opposition to God and everything that he purposes. So from eternity past, you have that. Then Satan successfully tempted Eve to do the same, to disobey God. And sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, thus death spread to all men, for all sinned. We're all sinners. Romans chapter 5. Jesus came and spoke repeatedly about doing the will of his Father, which I find is this, a holy submission of perfect eternal love. That's what Jesus came, to do the will of the Father. Right from the beginning, Satan opposed this. So when Herod made the decree to kill all the young babies, right from the beginning, Satan is in opposition to what God's doing, what he's going to accomplish by sending his son. Our redemption. Satan withstood Jesus, interesting, mainly through the religious leaders in opposing Jesus. Satan tempted Jesus there in the garden to circumvent the will of God, not my will, but your will, to circumvent that by not going to the cross. The cross is the will of God. It is the love of God on display. Through the cross, God sent out this holy invitation that invites anyone and everyone who receive him into this relationship. Listen, the relationship is called eternal life. 
It's relationship. Jesus, and this is eternal life. They may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you're going to find life. But they are them which speak of me. And you will not come to me that you may have what life? It's relationship. So in Jesus' ministry, as he's communicating this thing of eternal life, it's always a relationship where we enter into this eternal, perfect, eternal love. And on Wednesday night, we're going through 1 John. And John the apostle writes this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. We lived it. We're living it. Declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, and truly our fellowship, it was the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your what? Joy may be full. What? Relationship. Offered to anyone and everyone who will come to Christ, receive him as Savior, receive the forgiveness of God, be, in, be filled with the Holy Spirit, born again by the Spirit of God, and now can walk in this relationship. It's called eternal life. It's fantastic. It's, it's really out of this time zone. It's eternal. So it's not, a, it's not this amount of time. Eternity has no time. It's the quality of life that God first created man to experience. And that is perfect harmony with God, walking with him. So Hebrews says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For he who is coming will come. And Greg hit on that too. Listen, Jesus is coming again. We're going to be experienced exactly what the disciples experienced in walking with him. We're going to experience that in a world that's governed by him. I'm saying, whoo. <laughs> no compromise with the will of God. No compromise with the world. There are two subtle compromises. We hit on this a little bit last week. That, say, that Pharaoh said to Moses. Look at 825. Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God where? In the land. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abominations of the Egyptians to the Lord our God if we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes. In other words, the sacrificing of animals. Then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he will command us. Not you, Pharaoh, as he will command us. Verse 8, 28. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. So these subtle compromises I'm attaching to our being called to come out from among them, out from, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're not going to be living close, staying near, being of the world. The world and the devil whispers to your flesh, my flesh. You really don't have to change your lifestyle that you're choosing. You can do what you want. God's good with that. No, he's not. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Romans. Simple response, Paul says, perish the thought. How will we have died to sin live any longer in it? Something happened in our rebirth that jettisoned into this whole new life. The old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things become new, and we are now born again by the Spirit of God. Our sin has been taken care of past, present, and future, and we now can walk with the Lord in harmony through repentance. We're hitting all this in 1 John. Confession, forgiveness, and an ongoing basis. So it's not like God has to re-up the thing. Well, let's see. No, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid the complete price necessary for your purchase, your redemption, my redemption. We have not, we're not redeemed with, with corruptible things like silver and gold. God can create all the gold he wants. Just say, be gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He's the only one and the only way to life. Come out from among them. Do not be conformed to this world, Romans chapter 12. Now, C.S. Lewis, I want to I give a few quotes here from these old guys that have spoken into my life, and they speak from already gone to glory, some of them. But C.S. Lewis, you probably know him. Uh, he actually died on the same day that President uh, Kennedy was assassinated, November 22, 1963. He's the one I, 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 I he's just, how many of you know C.S. Lewis, Okay. Probably many of you know that. Here's what he said. You and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantments of worldliness. Do not be conformed to this world. Come out from among them, says the Lord. Another quote from Pastor R. Kent Hughes. He's now 79. He's spoken to my life many times. It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, month after month, week upon week, day in and day out, watching the major TV networks or contemporary videos to have a Christian mind. In is what comes out. This is always true of all Christians in every situation. I love this quote. A biblical mental program cannot coexist with worldly programming, unquote. What are you giving your mind to? We are to be separate from the world. We're to come out from the world. We're not to compromise with the things of the world. And 1 John says, the possessions, uh, my passions, my possessions, and my position. Those things begin to be the God that I serve. One of those or all of them. That's worldliness. James says, do not be a friend of the world. If you want to be a friend of the world, you're now at enmity with God. So he says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Greg, again, what you were sharing just was harmonizing that we are in a battle against principalities and powers. The devil has set up this whole realm that he rules, and it's called the God of this age. That's why it's called that. And he is battling against. So, so James answers, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Listen, and he will lift you up. God's doorway out of the world is humility, repentance, and believing him. That becomes the foundation. He is the foundation upon which I am responding to the things of the world. And I want to come out from them. Here's a a quote from John Wesley. He lived in the 1700s. Quote, the best means of resisting the devil is to destroy whatever of the world remains in us in order to raise for God upon its ruins a building all of love. Then Then shall we begin in this fleeting life to love God as we shall love him in eternity. Unquote. That is the will. It's the will of love. Do not love the world. First John says that. Well, let me give you another quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He was 77 when he went to be with the Lord. 
The true man of God is heartsick, grieved at the worldliness of the church, grieved at the toleration of sin in the church, grieved at the prayerlessness in the church. He is disturbed that the corporate, pr- the corporate prayer of the church no longer pulls down the strongholds of the devil, unquote. I, I want to, I'm, I'm reading these because they just, again, what, what Charlotte would call a heart massage. It begins to soften my heart and realize we are in a battle in our lives as the church, and we have all ne- everything necessary to take down the strongholds of the devil, to find victory in Christ. Therefore, Paul said in Ephesians, therefore, be strong, Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. We must resist the devil in these things of the world. Do not be a friend of the world. Do not love the world. How much Quote, again, from E.M. Bounds. How much of these destructive elements esteemed by men does the devil bring into the church until all the high, unworldly, and holy aims and heavenly objects of the church are retired and forgotten, unquote. I have said this often. I want to say it again to all of us, myself, all of us. In prayer, in prayer, we are at the throne of God, the throne of grace, mercy, that we may obtain help for our troubles. I'm going to exhort you in your prayer life as well as mine. I'm going to exhort us as a church. Our prayer meetings are central to everything that God's doing. Saturday morning, the hour of prayer from 8 to 9. We have it on Zoom also, 8 to 9. Kathy Ward, if you don't mind me mentioning you, Kathy, she has started a prayer meeting that's two hours on Thursdays, and we, we're in, we have our team chapel on Thursdays in the, in the fireside room, and every, every Thursday, marching past the glass, are all these ones who are coming for two hours and go through a prayer time of praying for our church. I believe that whatever God is going to want to do, he's going to do it when we simply get on our knees before him and agree with each other and pray and ask the Lord to work and ask the Lord to move. Now, with those prayer meetings, coupled is the word of God and the spirit of God. I want to be careful I don't get too far away from <laughs> what I'm doing here. But we need to pull down the strongest. And I want to, again, we, Jesus said, my house should be called a house of preaching. My house should be called a house of fellowship. My house should be called a house of prayer. He said, but you've made it a den of thieves. You just are, are using it for your own gain. We'll talk about that in another moment. Do not love the world. Andrew Murray, a true revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in the heart and life. And John said, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We will not compromise the will of God. Another quote, A.W. Tozer, we must meet the uncertainties of the world with the certainty of the world to come, unquote. We are heading for a kingdom. We are living and being prepared for that kingdom. So again, as we go the final one here, which I want to spend bulk of our time on, the fifth and sixth plagues, the livestock diseased and the boils, which we just read, in these two plagues, here's what I'm going to talk about in this area of fear and worry. In these two plagues, their wealth, which was their livestock, And their bodies are being pummeled, the Egyptians. But not so with the children of Israel. 
God sovereignly preserved and protected them through all of it. The question that arose for me immediately, because I've been thinking of this in other ways for a while. Those of us who belong to God, we are God's people. We are the church. We are the saints. We are the redeemed ones. What if your wealth is being pummeled? What if you were to lose your wealth? And listen, we are very wealthy people, as the world would measure that. So here's a wise, it's a wise question to ask. We have been on the brink. I'm talking about our nation. We have been on the brink of economic collapse for a long, long time. Today, our nation is beyond bankruptcy. And yet, because, and only because, the dollar is the monetary standard for the world, can our government just print more money? Any other nation ever done that has gone down, gone down almost immediately. You can't do that. And yet, we're doing it. This is if you don't mind, stupid and unsustainable. The truth is this. Our whole financial structure, structure in which we find security could come tumbling down like the house of cards that it really is today. What if your health is being pummeled? What if you were to lose your health? And many of us are actually learning that. <laughs> it comes with age as well as many other things. When our wealth and health take a hit, and especially when it is suddenly, they challenge the very core of our faith in trusting God to preserve us and protect us through every high and stormy gale. The question is, is my anchor within the veil? Is my anchor in who God is and his capacity and ability to protect and preserve me? Though it may not be quite the kind of protection I was thinking, which is American. These are the things that remind us we are not in control. <laughs> really? Really. But listen, and this is what I want to drive home in my heart and yours. God is. God is in control. Our God will preserve and protect us through every fire and flood he takes us into. I am not saying this glibly or easily. I'm saying it because it's true. It's the truth. That has been highly tested in our lives. Will God take care of me as long as he gives me breath? You bet he will. Will it be like I want? No, it's like what he wills because he knows me and knows the work that he's wanted to accomplish in my life to make me more like Jesus. 
conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. You want to know what the will of God is for you? It's to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. So we come out of the fire. We are refined by God. We walk through the floods. We're washed by God. And he's with us in all of that. Isaiah says it this way, but now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Do you ever stop a moment and hear God saying your name? Powerful. He knows my name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Who's your Savior? Can he protect you? Can he preserve you? Can he provide for you? There's no compromise. We have no compromise with worry and fear. Yes, he can and he will. Now, I want to turn a little corner here. There are... are there are these very popular heresies that begin, where else, in the USA. That when you come to Christ, you can expect money, perpetual wealth, perpetual health, and when health is broken, healing. Just give the seed dollars. Just name it and claim it. Just make your positive confession. Now, there's a theological term for this. Baloney. <laughs> that is a heretical lie from the pit of hell. These false prophets are masters of manipulative enticements. Peter identified these false teachers this way. They cannot cease from sin, having hearts trained in covetous practices and are accursed children, 1 Peter 2.14. I mean, Peter has no qualms. That is what they are. They make big bucks at the expense of those who have very little, if any. This, brothers and sisters, you know it, I hope, is deplorable. You want to talk about deplorable? This is deplorable. They are making merchandise of God's children. Jesus drove them out of the temple court, whipped them, get them out of here, out of here, because they're making big bucks on people's hunger for God. God does not take these things lightly. Men like Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, Robert Tilton, to name just some. And let me say, they are very appealing. Until you know what they are, then they're not appealing at all. One of these fathers of this movement died in 2003, Kenneth Hagin Sr., Hagen taught that God was not glorified by poverty and that preachers do not have to be poor. 
Before he died in 2003 and left his Rama Bible Training Center in the hands of his son, Kenneth Hagin Jr., he summoned many of his colleagues to Tulsa to rebuke them for distorting his message. He was not happy that some of his followers were manipulating the Bible to support what he viewed as greed and selfish indulgence. He became passionate about correcting these abuses before he died. In fact, he wrote a brutally honest book to address his concerns. The Midas Touch was published in 2000, a year after the infamous Tulsa meeting. Many word faith ministers ignored the book. They have to. They have to. A few things that he makes in that Midas Touch... One, financial prosperity is not a sign of God's blessing. He wrote this. I think it's great. If wealth alone were a sign of spirituality, then drug traffickers and crime bosses would be spiritual giants, unquote. People, number two, people should never give in order to get. Number three, it's not biblical to name your seed in an offering. Number four, the hundredfold return is not a biblical concept. I'm not going to get into the details of these things, but this is what they're preaching. This is what they're teaching. Preachers who claim to have a, quote, debt-breaking, unquote, anointing should not be trusted. Hagen told his followers, overemphasizing or adding to what the Bible actually teaches invariably does more harm than good, unquote. If the man who pioneered the modern concept of this prosperity doctrines blew the whistle on his own movement, wouldn't it make sense for us to listen to his admonition? In other words, health and wealth are also in God's hands. He is in control. He is going to take, preserve us and protect us through whatever. And without which, if we didn't have these things, God will still be able to take care of us. We recently studied the book of Revelation. Revelation 17 and 18 detail the final judgment of Babylon. That's the system in the city. The mystery of the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth, Revelation 17, 5. In Revelation 18, six times that great city, referring to Babylon, three times for in one hour. This is why I've been thinking on this for quite a while now, because we're going through Revelation. I was thinking about this. Revelation 18 says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at the distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Verse 17, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is this like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. And what strikes me is one hour. I take that literally. Sixty minutes. I am not saying, listen, please. I am not saying that our once great nation is that great city. I am saying things can change very suddenly. What we thought can never happen does indeed happen. And many times it's an event. Something happens and it changes our lives. J. 
Jesus was with his disciples one day, and we read this, Matthew chapter 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples had been with Jesus about three years. So whatever the extent of their unbelief, which God, Jesus was always dealing with, whatever the extent of it at this point, they had witnessed and heard Jesus enough and believed the unbelievable. Somewhere they tucked that in. This is unbelievable, but that's what Jesus said, so I know it's going to happen. It's the same thing when we go to the Word. We read things. We go, this is unbelievable. Yeah, but God said it. So there's, there's this factor that enters into our fears and our worries of faith that means help my unbelief. Now, they did the best thing they could do, which is exactly what we need to do. They said, Jesus, can you tell us some more? Can we take in a little more of what you're talking about? And begin to be educated and equipped and encouraged because we've heard from God. Now, if 20 years ago, we were visiting New York City on Monday, September 10th, 2001, and our tour guide said, Tomorrow morning, these same twin towers will be brought down to the ground in less than two hours. If it was me, I would have smirked, rolled my eyes, and not believed another thing he said. And what happened on 9-11-2001? In less than two hours, these mammoth towers came down. And people, me included, and us were shocked that such a thing could actually happen. It happened. I'm not trying to scare you. But certainly it should sober us and alert us to be ready and watching for Jesus. Not putting our hope in the world. Not being worried, not being afraid of things in which God is in control. And God has allowed the last two years, last two years have certainly brought that to the forefront. Jude said this, but beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the eternal life. Then he says this, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And I pray that often, Lord, be merciful to us as a nation. Be merciful, Lord, to us one more time. Be merciful, Lord, and turn us. And I hope we're not past the very mercy of God. Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. First John, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But, though, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Listen, God is love. He is always the initiator. We're the responders. And how, when we come to this area of fear and worry and the things that are out of our control, we need to be responding to God who's the initiator. I will be with you. I will see you through. I will preserve you. I will protect you. I will take care of you because you're mine. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Fear short circuits our faith 
in the perfect keeping and transforming power of the love of God. Let me say that again. Fear short-circuits our faith in the perfect keeping and transforming power of the perfect love of God. That's what fear does. It involves torment. But perfect love casts out fear. I'm safe and secure in my Savior's arms, in my shepherd's arms, no matter what may come. It's interesting. I want you to think about this. I, I got on this little rabbit trail yesterday. As you go through the Gospels, look, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So many times, it's when God's in the process of revealing his love to the world or to us or to someone personally. So you get Zacharias, and the angels come and say, this is what God's going to do. Your son, John the Baptist, he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And, and, then, and then the angel says, do not be afraid. Comes to Mary. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah, but do not be afraid. And then when the shepherds are out on this field, all the glory of God is being displayed. There's been a Savior born that's been promised. And what happens? They say, do not be afraid. In the beginning of his earthly ministry, don't you love Peter? And here's this catch of fish, not just Peter, but James and John. Here's this catch of fish and the boat's sinking. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You just saw something, you have no idea how to explain. Do not be afraid. Disciples on a boat, huge storm, Jesus sleeping, wakes up and says, do not be afraid. Another, they're in a boat, another storm, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. I mean, the manifestation, the power and glory of God and the love of God being there displayed, and what is, what's the, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. You see, sin has come into the crevices of everything, and we're thinking somehow, some way, God's love can't be that perfect. Listen, his love is perfect. It's perfect. He loves us no less than he ever has or ever will. And that love is eternal life. And that relationship we have with him is what secures our hearts and our fears and our worries anchored there in the heart of God who loves me. Do not be afraid. The woman, love this story, the woman taken in adultery in the very act. Moses said to the stoner, what do you say? What did he say to the woman? Do not be afraid. And he forgave, forgave her. Jairus' daughter, who's dead, about to be raised from the dead. And Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. You're going to see what I'm going to do. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John have just experienced the glory of Jesus in his in his. When he's glorified, they're seeing him, light emanating from him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. You just saw a little glimpse. You're going to see a lot more. And then three times, listen, three times at the empty tomb. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. My fellow believers, you who are of the general assembly and church of the firstborn, you who are registered in heaven, I believe the Lord would say to us today, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And you know what Jesus said all the time. You can't serve two masters, so don't worry. 
serve God, you have no worries. Do not worry what you're going to wear about your life. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough of itself. Just trust me today. Are you not of much more value than the sparrows? And much more value than, aren't you clothed? You know, when you get down to the bottom line of it, when everything's gone and you got God, you realize what else do you need? All these things are God's blessings for us. Then he says, they're going to deliver you up. It's going to get tough. It's going to, like, Jackie, what you were sharing again, Greg, you follow my, my afflictions and all those things. Carefully follow them. You've been with me. You've seen them. And all who live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, hey, they're going to deliver you up, but don't even think about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words. I'll be with you. Your sons, your daughters are going to deliver you up. There's going to be great division, even in families, when it gets to the to these end times. Peter said, don't be afraid of their threats. Close with these couple verses. Proverbs 3 says this, do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. That's today for us. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. It's come. It's come. Maud Smith was Pastor Chuck Smith's mom. He was my pastor. God used him to start Calvary Chapel movement. When Pastor Chuck was a young boy, his father and brother were killed in a plane crash. Maud, his wife, was at home. She gets this message that her husband and her son were just killed in a plane crash. It rocked her world, but not her faith. From that moment, and through it all, she had the word hidden in her, she knew the word. She would read it to Pastor Chuck. She'd walk around reading in the Bible in the in home. And she went back to this verse that anchored her trust in God. Psalm 112, verses 7 8. He, she will not be afraid of evil tidings. Her heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. Her heart is established. She will not be afraid. Oh, a faith sustaining her. So full circle to our response of reading this morning, Psalm 56. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Verse 11. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Brothers and sisters, I hope I've encouraged you this morning to think deeply, to sort of consider, what if it all just goes down tomorrow? Where are we rock anchored? I'm saying to you from my heart to you, I hope that's not what happens. I'm not looking for that. But I believe we're, go we're going to be seeing things like we already have that we never would, thought, would think would happen. And yet it happened. It almost seems like overnight. And it's rocked us. It's 
Shake, but I think in a very good way. That which is, cannot be shaken will remain. Hebrews. May God shake us so that he can establish our faith at a level that we've never had it before. And we can't be compromised with the will of God. We can't be compromised with the world. And we certainly can't be compromised with worry and fear. May God help us today to receive from him just the, the, the truth that we know up here. May he bring it here. Amen. Would you stand? And I've asked Sophia if she would play that song that we, from City of Light, Greg was talking about. Uh, this, my, what's the name of that? Ancient of Days. Can we just, I'll close this in prayer, but can we just stand together as the body of Christ and worship him according to this song? My God is the Ancient of Days. Praise the Lord.